welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things Black history and beyond. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 77 of the History Hotline. My name is Deanna Lynn Cook and as always I will be your host today. Now, if you listened to last week's episode, you will know that you were left on a cliffhanger. I'm so sorry about that. But today we're going to be talking about what happened to Michael X, Michael DeFratis, Michael Abdul Malik when he went to Trinidad um, and how we ended up in the gallows in 1975 being hung for murder. Now, it feels like things escalated very quickly. We went from zero to 100. You know, this man was in England navigating um, northwest London and next thing you know, he is in Trinidad on trial. Now, we're going to go through all the steps and all the things that happened in the middle of, you know, last week's episode and the end point of today's episode. Um, so, I'm sorry for keeping you waiting a week if you've waited. Thank you. Um, and, well, without further ado, let's find out what happened to Michael X in Trinidad. Michael X, some knew him as a charismatic leader of black people in London in the 1960s who fled to Trinidad in 1970, escaping blackmail and robbery charges. Britain didn't try to extradite him. Um, He was already a watched man in the UK and by the sounds of things, they were happy to get rid of him, wash their hands of him and kind of hand him over to Trinidad knowing that he would never try to return to the UK. Michael X had dreams of becoming a president in Trinidad. He was somewhat a self-styled black nationalist revolutionary figure of quite radical political um, ideologies and with this kind of mindset and these aspirations for Trinidad and with this mindset he decided to establish a commune in Christina Gardens in Trinidad and created a black liberation army. Celebrities such as John Lennon, Yoko Ono visited the commune And, you know, Michael X kind of reveled in this new lease of life and this new situation he was in. He had followers um, that lived in the commune with him, people that supported his work. um, And, of course, that meant that he could further his aims financially as he was supported um, by people like John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Um, You know, he already had several names guises identities under his belt we've named a few of them already Um, and he was in Trinidad to continue this work however and this is where this episode of the history hotline turns into a true crime podcast and we get into the depths the scary depths I would say of these murders that took place now in 1972 policemen investigating a fire that's a fire right at the commune in Arima, in Port of Spain, the commune that's owned by Michael X, in February of that year, found two bodies, one of a man called Joseph Skerritt, who was 24 years old, and one of a British woman, Gail Ann Benson, who was 27 years old, in the garden of the commune now. This is where Detective Diana has some questions, because... There was a fire, assuming the building is burning. Why was it that the police would think to dig up the garden? It just doesn't make sense. If you have a fire, 
in a house or a building, you would, you know, assuming put out the fire, fire brigade or whoever else, why then would there be a suspicion to dig the garden? But these suspicions were there, the police dug up the garden. And this is where things get sticky, because in the garden are the two bodies, buried on top of each other in these, like, big grave-type things. Um, Now, Joseph Skerritt, 24 years old, young man from Trinidad. Then you've got Gail Ann Benson, who's 27, again, young woman. She was um, a divorced British model in Trinidad with her lover, a man called Hakeem Jamal, who was a black American revolutionary and cousin of Malcolm X. Um, And he was visiting the commune with her. Now, to make matters even worse, because, you know, to murder a white woman is one thing, but to murder the daughter of a former British MP is another thing and creates international ramifications for this murder, you know, than just a murder that took place in Trinidad with Trinidadian people. An international angle is now imposed, shall we say. Now, both the bodies of the people found were supporters of Michael X um, and, you know, part of the commune. So we need to kind of figure out what the motive is here. Why has he murdered these people? Has he even murdered these people? What has happened now? Joseph Skerritt, um, 24-year-old, quite a young man, he was um, showing signs, apparently, of turning against Michael X. Um, and one of the reasons for that was because he was told to rob a police station to acquire some guns and weapons, and apparently had refused. And because of that, um, Michael X ordered his murder um, and decided that you know he was not with the commune and so must be against it and had to die. That is the kind of power trip you could argue that he was on. And I think it, this behaviour, not that I'm a psychologist, might link back to some of the work he did with Rackman, you know, and this idea of loyalty and this kind of sadistic violence, again, that comes up. Um, and the way he treated people in Notting Hill is in ways similar to how he's treating people here in Trinidad, obviously. Not to say he murdered anyone in Notting Hill, but he's found guilty of murder in Trinidad. Now, he was buried, him being Joseph Skerritt, his body uh, was buried on the commune. So there's obviously questions about how how this has happened. Both bodies were found slashed to death with machetes. um, And it has been said that that was done by Michael in one case and also by other followers of him on Michael's orders. Skerritt's murder is said to have happened weeks before the murder of Gail Benson. Um, Gail Benson's body was not found for seven weeks and those asked about her were told that she had just left and her lover, Jamal, who we mentioned before, left the commune to the US after her murder um, because he was told she'd left and gone ahead. When the commune burnt down, mysteriously, you know, surely there's a link there with it burning down and the police searching the grounds. Um, The both bodies would have been um, kind of, you know, partially decomposing because they'd been there for weeks at that point. And 
in a New York Times article, and there's two that I've used for this episode, there really wasn't much that I could access. I'm sure there's more out there, but that I could physically access um, as a member of the public right now um, on these cases. But in a New York Times article, um, it states that the Crown had charged the defendant, Michael X, with digging a hole in his backyard on the 8th of February 1972. Um, And the same day, a man called Stanley Abbott, acting on Michael's orders, grabbed Joseph Skerritt, jumped into the hole with him, so the graves were dug before they were even murdered. Um, And Michael then struck Joseph Skerritt's neck with a cutlass, which killed him. So with a machete, kind of machete knife type thing, um, he was murdered by Michael X. um, Because, as we said, apparently Joseph refused to steal guns from a local police station. Now, this also creates another person, Stanley Abbott, who's also charged with his murder because he was an accomplice to it. There was an eyewitness who gave evidence in the trial, a man called Adolphus Parmesar, who testified that he had seen the killing and had helped cover the body on Michael's orders again, suggesting Michael is the ringleader in all of this violence. And then the motive for the murder of Gail Benson um, kind of goes back to a conversation had with Michael X and Jamal Hakim, um, in which it was apparently said that Jamal didn't look good with a white woman at his side, um, and also that, and I quote, um, this is in the Telegraph, by the way, that Benson was a passenger. She was sent off to raise money for the commune, but had returned empty-handed, so she had become disposable. So Gail Benson being of some status as a former model and daughter of a former MP was then seen as a disposable kind of character in this commune because she wasn't bringing in any money um, and the fact that she was a white woman as well. And now to Michael X. So when the fire broke out, um, he was actually on tour in Guyana. Um, And obviously when the fire broke out, the bodies were found um, as the police decided to dig. So he is not in the country. He's not in Trinidad. Trinidad is an island. Guyana is not an island. It's attached to South America. Um, And so he finds out that they are searching for him and he goes on the run, which really does heighten suspicions because, you know, if you had nothing to hide, you some might argue that you would give yourself up or, you know, go through the motions. However, this is Michael X we're talking about now. He's already on the run from the UK um, for charges there. So in theory, it can be suggested, let's say, that even if he, say, didn't do this, um, he has reason or kind of maybe the mindset to run because of, you know, who he knows is on his back anyway. But he runs um, and he gets into some really hilly land um, trying to go for the border of Guyana and Brazil um, through the kind of woods and the hills. And he ended up being found, obviously, um, in an abandoned mine shaft where the police catch him, arrest him, um, charge him and take him back to Port of Spain. And he's flown back into Trinidad. There's actually a Pathé News um, real video. It has no sound, annoyingly, otherwise I would have played you the clip um, but of him coming off the plane and being brought back to Port of Spain in 1972.
So once Michael X was arrested, you know, found in um, that abandoned mine shaft and brought back to Trinidad, um, the sitting attorney general actually tried the case. Um, but Michael struggled to get representation and had to go as far as St. Lucia to find a lawyer to represent him. Um, he was firstly arrested and charged and brought to trial for the murder of Joseph Skerritt. So he actually didn't ever stand trial for the murder of Gail Benson. Now, the case with Gail Benson was it was a problem and it couldn't be tried because there was insufficient evidence. I mentioned the eyewitness um, that came forward and spoke about what happened um, during the murder of Joseph Skerritt. This wasn't the same for Gail Benson. Um, and because they already had Michael X for the murder of Joseph Skerritt, of which the sentencing, if found guilty, was already the death penalty, it wouldn't be likely that the Gail Benson case would be brought to trial, which it wasn't because, you know, they kind of already had their man, shall we say. Also, and I suspect the fact that two bodies were found um, in his commune would already play a part in some of the decisions made in the Joseph Skerritt trial, which would have impacted you know, his sentencing and everything else, um, the fact that Gail Benson's body was already there, even though he wasn't actually formally tried and taken to court for that specific murder, I think it would have had an impact, you know, the fact that two bodies were found, both murdered in similar ways, um, with, you know, machete, cutlass marks all over them. Stanley Abbott and Edward Chaddy, who were some of the followers of Michael X, were alleged to have carried out the murder of Gail Benson, both were sentenced to death for the murder of her. However, their sentences were reduced to 20 years in prison, which um, is extremely different to the sentence of hanging, which was faced by Michael X, um, if we think about Joseph Skerritt's murder. So, Michael X actually convinced his lawyers to work to change the law of executions in Trinidad whilst he was on death row um, faced with the hanging for murder. Um they lobbied the British government to change the law. The Privy Council still had control over Caribbean colonies and um, some of the countries in the Caribbean. Um, and so they tried to get the law changed because the belief was that if you're on death row for a certain amount of time, it constitutes as torture because you're keeping someone in the kind of mental state of the, the fact that they're going to be killed when you're not actually doing it. You're kind of just waiting um, however, it was obviously unsuccessful for Michael um, as he was hung, as you know. His legal team did try and put in an appeal. However, his execution was actually rushed. Normally, um, people being executed in Trinidad, it would kind of be read on Thursday at 4pm um, to notify people. However, his execution actually took place on Tuesday, so two days before at 7am, with no pre-public announcement. Michael X was on death row for 998 days, which he argued to be torture. Um, that is, you know, nearly three years. Um, 998 days is a very long time um, because it was so prolonged. Um, pleas were made by Angela Davis, Dick Gregory, who are both American, black American activists, as well as the likes of Kate Millett, who was a feminist author in Britain. Um, there was an international Save Malik campaign which financed his defence. However, there were no public protests or demonstrations in Trinidad um, kind of about his hanging or against it or um, kind of in relation to it. Um, 
he was the first person to be home in a while on the island. 1957 was the one before him, um, and that was a man called Boise Singh. And you can imagine the sentiment internationally and nationally was quite a strange one um, because he'd been found guilty of murder, um, obviously, you know, painted as a terrible character from his time in Britain, to be fair. Um, and now he was he was hung and it was reported nationally um, and internationally as well. As I said, the New York Times is probably the most helpful in researching this episode. Um, he was survived by his wife and six children, which I think is probably one of the sadder parts of this story because, you know, he had children, he had he had people around him that would have looked up to him and maybe not in the right way um, as he was involved with so many negative and terrible things, to be honest. But, you know, he had a wife and, and children as well. In 1993, however... The Privy Council, in a landmark ruling, established a principle that delays of five years or more between sentence and execution are actually degrading and inhuman punishment. Uh, and so that decision meant that, in Trinidad anyway, hundreds of inmates who had death sentences were actually commuted to life in prison. Um, Trinidad and Barbados were some of and are some of the last um, countries in the Caribbean that has a mandatory death penalty for murder, um, which was something that hung over from colonial British law, still in place today, which kind of thinks and links back to the episodes about, um, you know, countries like Barbados and Jamaica gaining independence. And when you think about the legacy of colonialism, I'm sure you don't think about the death penalty, but that is one of the things that hangs over um, in countries like Trinidad and Barbados. Um, and whilst countries like Britain who have removed the death penalty, um, you know, those countries out in the Caribbean have not um, and still have that as a legacy. Now, the lawyers that were part of Michael X's appeal were actually some of the lawyers that pushed through that law with the Privy Council. Geoffrey Robinson, Dennis Muirhead and the Death Penalty Project lawyers in 1993 um, kind of won in a way um, of, of having that Privy Council ruling passed. So it kind of seems as if Michael's life had a wider impact on people of the Caribbean in the case of the death penalty. Um, but the question, I guess, is would that impact be what he would have wanted? Is it fitting for the life he had and that being his legacy of reform for murderers? Um, you know, he... If this is his legacy, he's left with one of essentially being, or something that some would argue, not all, being less tough on crime because you're removing the death penalty for something like murder. Now, you know, the ethical questions of, of is the death penalty right or wrong? Should it be in place for certain crimes and not for others or, or whatever you might think about the death penalty? Um, some people would say that's the harshest punishment possible. Um, so removing it for people that commit murder, you know, is that a good thing or bad thing? Is it indifferent? Is it just a thing? But that is actually kind of linked to the legacy of Michael X's life. And I just find it very interesting because when we think about people, um, leaders, whatever 
field that might be in. Um, and now I don't know if you would call Michael X a leader in a sense because he doesn't possess some of the positive qualities we would like to attribute to leaders. He was a very problematic being very kind word <laughs> and were to describe him really. Um, you know, he starts off his kind of troubled childhood um, and then his ending is, you know, all the more troubled back in Trinidad. Um, and it's just interesting that that migration to Britain, all the things that happened to him and all the things he did there impact um, his life to this point where he's kind of portrayed now as a sadistic murderer that was on some kind of narcissistic power trip because he had this commune, it wasn't going the way he wanted, people weren't doing exactly what he said and he ordered them to be killed, you know? Kind of like a um, a powerful dictator that's just lost control and lost his head. So unfortunately for Michael X, you know, it isn't the positive inspirational story that you might hear on this on this podcast normally when we think about um, some of the black figures in Britain that came from the Caribbean or Africa or otherwise. Um, but it's a story that's interesting and interesting because it's not it's not a clean cut story. There's also theories that Michael X might have been set up by the British or other people, um, and it's a story that I haven't got enough evidence to to put out that side. If anybody does, please let me know of any information you have, but. You know, the fact that there was a fire, but people knew to dig up the garden. You know, were those bodies planted there? Did he actually do it? We will never know. Um, but his life was taken for it. Um, and in some some ways, people would say justice has been served. In other ways, people might say it hadn't been. Um, and I'll leave that up to you to decide. But that is the kind of life and times of Michael X. Um, if you want to read more or find out more about uh, Michael X and his life, um, there were two New York Times articles that I will try and link in the Instagram and Twitter posts that I do, although I don't have permission to do that from the New York Times, and I had to pay a subscription to access those articles, so I feel like they're behind a paywall for a reason. Um, also, the case was reported by V.S. Naipaul for the London Sunday Times in 1972, um, which is something you can read if you can find that or access that in the archives. Um, and it was also fictionalised in Naipaul's novel, Gorillas, in 1975, as well as an extended essay, Michael X and the Black Power Killings in Trinidad, 1973 to 1979. So you've got many little things you can read more about or um, find out more about and you know going back to the first episode I did on Michael X I watched a documentary um, which was um, about his life which is something that I believe is on Sky still um, that you can watch there is also a book by John Williams Michael X a life in black and white um, and many other articles about him and his life so if you'd like to find out more about him you know where to look but that is all from me for now. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the History Hotline. If you've enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend to tell a friend. To continue the conversation about black history, head over to our social media platforms at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter.